there's too much time for everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's you just can't feel like if I'm especially if I'm hyper focused on something and then I like something like breaks me out of the hyper focus and then I look up and then somebody asks, hey, how much time do you think has passed? I have no idea. Like it could have been mm-hmm. 10 minutes. It could have been three hours. Like that concept of like time moving past me or like moving behind me. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that. And that's how most people with ADHD are is that time passing is like a feeling we just don't really have. In today's episode, we have Jesse Anderson. He is a creator, a coach, speaker, now a published author, but primarily known for being an ADHD advocate. And so excited to have Jesse here as another person, adult with ADHD. I'm so excited to dive in with all my ADHD questions and welcome Jesse and glad to have you here. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I always love, it's been too, I love getting a chance to chat with you. It's been too long. I know this is a a perfect, I think, excuse, which is like all my podcast episodes. Congratulations (laughs) on your book. I think it's just even the cover, like how you have been like really single handedly grooming this book and it's a big success. What motivated this? If you can take me back to where you were like, I'm going to write a book. And how did you decide to start this huge project? Yeah, it really started at the beginning of kind of my content creation journey, which was about about three years ago. I signed up for the Ship 30 for 30 writing challenge. And before that, I was doing like nothing online. I'd been using Twitter for 15 years or whatever it was, but I mostly used it just to, I don't know, complain about sports or talk about the latest Apple news or whatever. But at some, somewhere I saw the ship 30 for 30 challenge and it sounded really interesting for some reason to me. And so I signed up for that. And if people aren't familiar with it, the challenge is basically you write a short essay every day for like a 500 word essay every day for 30 days. And that's, and you post it. So you like ship it every single day, every day you're writing this new essay and it was a really fun challenge for for me because I wasn't really a writer. I wasn't doing any sort of regular writing other than maybe just like occasional journaling or something like that. But so I signed up for that challenge. And as I was like figuring out like what topics I wanted to talk about, I quickly decided I'm like, oh, I I've been learning all this stuff about ADHD because I had been d- diagnosed a few years prior to that. I've been devouring all I could to learn about how my brain works and so that I can try and overcome the difficulties that come with having ADHD. So I quickly was writing about that a lot in the essays I was doing for Ship for 30. And people were really resonating with it. I was really like connecting with a lot of people and which makes sense, like looking back, because a lot of entrepreneurial type people were in the challenge. And studies have shown that like entrepreneurs have a much higher percent chance of having ADHD. And so I think there was a lot of people really connecting with the stuff I was talking about. So that kind of got it started and I was writing it and I started a newsletter and then I was posting on Twitter, posting threads on there and just like little, I don't know, humorous uh, quips or whatever of what it's like living with ADHD. And eventually at some point I, cause I did ship 30, ship 30 for 30 a couple more times and I didn't do all 30 days the other times, but I was still writing a lot. And eventually at some point I looked and I was like, this is like 18,000 words I've written here doing all these challenges that's like almost a book. Maybe I could write a book and kind of similar at the same time, I was starting to grow a bit of a community. Like people were starting to know who I was and I kept getting those questions of where people would say, Hey, I'm seeing this stuff about ADHD. 
and it sounds like it really resonates. I think I might have this. What should I do now? Where should I go to find out more about this? And I didn't have a great like what I wanted to be like, oh, I have all this knowledge up here in my brain and I want to be able to give it to you because it took me years to acquire it. And it's all important. There's so much. And so that really got that started. So I started the challenge in January and by August that year, I was like, I need to write a book. And that's when it got started. I think for me, one of my biggest things is consistency. Like I will, I'll mm-hmm. have a million ideas and they're so like exciting and interesting. I'll start them. So it's not so difficult to start for me. It's like hard to keep going. Any struggles that you had, like writing this book or was, was consistency an issue or what kept me motivated until the finish line? Yeah, definitely. So at the beginning, it was real easy because I was real excited, new big project. And I announced it to people and told everyone that I was working on this thing and got a lot of positive feedback from that. So I was like, "Ooh, all this dopamine, this feels great. I'm doing this new thing and everyone's excited. And then at some point months later, I realized like I haven't looked at I haven't touched the book and I haven't even opened the file in months. Like it had been like two or three months or something. And I had that like panic of, oh, no, am I going to have to tell everybody that I abandoned this project that everyone thinks I'm working on? And so that was like that was a big wake up call of, oh, this is I need to do something here because otherwise there's going to be another one of those abandoned projects, which I don't know, I have millions of those. And so I used two different methods that really helped me to continue and sustain that uh, momentum with the book. For me, consistency is tricky because it's I'm not going to find the thing that's going to, for me, just because of the way my brain works with ADHD and everything else, I'm not going to be able to write like the same number of words every day for for 90 days. Like that sort of consistency isn't going to work for me, but I need something so that it doesn't fall off completely. So what I did is I injected these points of urgency along the way. And the two main ways that I did that was one, I announced that I was going to have a beta version of the book. And so I told people, all these people that had said they were excited about the book, I said, hey, you can be a beta reader for an early version of the book. Just sign up here and then I'll give you access in, I don't know, three weeks or something. But I put a date on it. And then that's when then there's like panic mode because I can't show them what I have right now. What I have right now is this embarrassing mess of words that I don't want anybody to ever see. But then but because I had that date, then I was able to like that really motivated me. I have to get it done in time so that I can show people so I can let some people see it on this date. It's like the school paper that I avoid for three months and then the night before it's due, then you fly into action. And that's basically what I did for my book. And the other thing I did, I had, I hired an editor. So I self-published the book. And so I didn't have a publisher that was like banging on the door saying, Hey, where's the next draft? But I hired an editor to help with, help me with it. And he was awesome. One of the things that he did that really helped was he gave me like real deadlines. And it'd be one thing if he was like, Hey, give me the next draft by this date. And then I would just blow past it and be like, Oh, I'll get it to, I'll get him to a week later or whatever and apologize or whatever. But what he told me was, hey, I have clients like I have other work that I'm going to be doing. So if you get it to me by this date, then I'll be able to get it back to you. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to look at it for another two or three months. And so that was like any time he gave me kind of one of those deadlines, which is probably about three or four times throughout the process. That was, again, that kind of urgency of I don't want I want to get the book out as soon as possible. So I don't want like being late to cost me like three months in in release time. 
And so that was super motivating. It wasn't just this made up random date. It was like, no, no, if I don't get it here, I can't get it edited. And so that those were the two big things that really helped maintain that consistency. And again, it's not like the the tortoise and the hare. Like I can't be the tortoise. That's not how my brain works. I can't just consistently do like X number of words a day. It's just, it's not going to, it's not in the cards. And once, but once you accept that and know that's true, then it's okay, cool. So what can I do then? What, what will work for my brain? And for me and with this project in particular, it was all about like, how can I create these points of urgency which because then when I did that, when I hit that like that date running and like had to hit those like deadlines, then I had the momentum. And so I could get the beta release going. And then I was like, oh, I'm, I'm all excited about the book again. And so I have this energy I can use to be like, oh, OK, well, they're beta reading. Now I'm going to start working on the cover or I'm going to start working on this aspect of it. Like it was really like I talk about in the book, like the idea of getting your motivation train moving where you want it to be where it's just like flying down the tracks and it's really hard to slow it down. And that's how I felt in those kind of moments of urgency. And I think that's okay. It's so easy to beat myself up and be like, oh, I wish I could do it this other way. It's like, that, that's not how my brain works. And that's fine. I just need to find a way that works for me. And that really did, that urgency really worked for me. That's awesome. The idea of fake deadlines, like you somehow found this real deadlines that are not like easy to fabricate, right? Like you cannot mm-hmm. fabricate a deadline. So it's just being alert at what are some things that you can grab and use to your advantage to push you. Another question that I had is you make things look so easy from the outside. <laughs> Do people like tell you like, oh my God, like how are you getting all of these things done? What are some things behind the scenes, like the struggles that you've had that people don't get to see? You make things very easy. Like you you look like the most productive person. Like you're writing consistently, like your newsletter, like the content is spot on. How do you make all of that happen? The other mm-hmm. things, like the full-time job, like the newsletter, you just came back from a conference. Yeah. What's happening behind the scenes? Yeah. First of all, thank you so much uh, for the kind words about that. It really, I think the metaphor of the duck on the lake where it looks like they're not moving at all. And then underneath the water, it's just like chaos. That's what it feels like. I think people see some of the stuff I'm putting out. It's, oh, wow, he's doing so much. And it really just like a lot of it behind the scenes is very chaotic where I'm just like, because I have, I, I, I say yes to new things way too often. And so I'm doing a lot more than maybe I probably should. But the other thing I think that has helped a lot is I'm I've gotten pretty good at making boundaries for myself in certain areas. And for example, I I create content and I post on I post it to Twitter and Instagram and threads and all these different places. But because of the way like comments work in Instagram where you have to go into a post and then you see the comments there, I just don't read those comments. I I just at <laughs> at one point I was just like I, I don't have the t- time to manage it. And this one, there's a little bit too much friction. So I just don't read those like threads and Twitter because I'm like active users of those apps. Those comments are easier to see for me because I don't have to click into each individual post mm-hmm. and find it. And so that's like this tiny little amount of friction where I just decided with Instagram, I'm not going to do comments. And every once in a while, someone will tell me like, hey, someone posted something terrible in here. And I'm like, oh, I'll go in there and delete it or whatever. But for the most part, that's one of those things where I like, I let it go. There's mm-hmm. very little like problem that's happening here from avoiding those comments. And same thing for YouTube, which I haven't done a lot this year, but I, I've done a bunch of YouTube stuff in the past. And I just, 
don't read the comments at all, which on in some on one hand is I feel like, does that make me a bad content creator? I'm not connecting with the community here, but it's also just like knowing my own limits. I was like, if I did, if I was actively looking and responding to all the comments on YouTube and Instagram, then I might still be working on the book because I didn't have time for that. Mm -hmm. Or my newsletter might have crashed and burned or something like that. And so that's one example there. Another thing with the newsletter, most issues of the newsletter, I write the night before. And it's very, I give myself a very short window of time. And this is something I picked up with doing the Ship 30 for 30. Because the very first essay I did for Ship 30 for 30, it probably took me four hours, four or five hours. It was just like so long. And that's how the first week was. And I realized I'm like, I'm never going to make it through this week. Like, it's, or I'm never going to make it through the 30 days based on how this week went. And so I need to do something. And I just, so I set a timer for one hour. And then I was like, whatever I have at the end of one hour, that's what I'm shipping. And wow. so 45 minutes of, oh my gosh, in the last 15 minutes, I would fly into action. And then I'd be like, this is good enough. I can share this. And then I started shrinking that window. Wow. And it's that, I forget the name of the principle, but there's that whole, if expand or shrink Parking the time. Parking law. Yeah. Yeah. Your work fills whatever time you give it. And so I do that a lot with the newsletter. And sometimes I'll be the newsletter because it does go out to more people. Like sometimes I will stretch it a little bit more if it's a particular like sensitive topic that I want to really make sure I nail down. But a lot of time I'll just set, I have half an hour, write this in half an oh, hour that's and insane. just like jam do it you, in there. Do you keep, I think like Austin Cleon was just keeping a file with stuff that would go out for the newsletter. Also ADHD people, like they're like no taking fanatics, a lot of PKM stuff. How about you? Do you like, do you keep a, a log of ideas that maybe like might be material for a newsletter? How do you manage like content information organization? So right now I used to have a really good system for that. And right now I don't. And part of that has just been this last year. I, again, it was that like having to say no to a bunch of things to fit in what I could. So like at the beginning of the year, I was doing a lot of stuff with, oh, I can't even remember which one I was using at the Rome, time, but it, I don't know. Yeah. Tana. <laughs> right. All I the new Tana, players. I think Obsidian. I started. Yeah. I think I started the year and I was doing a whole bunch of stuff in Tana, which is super cool. Very cool app, but it was like taking up way too much time. And I wasn't, even though I knew the time would see a benefit, I was like, I just don't have the time right now to even do it. So I like, I stopped doing anything with Tana and I, I, I was working on like a habits app with uh, another developer. And yeah, I quit. what happened yeah. to that? I, I quit that team because it was just like polar costing. habits. It, it was too much. Yeah, polar habits. And so Marat, he's still doing that. I think he's doing a launch for Product Hunt coming up in a couple of weeks. Oh, but it was, I forgot it was, about I just it. Didn't have the, I just didn't have the bandwidth for it. And so I had to, what, what I found was that my time was going to polar habits it was going to my podcast that I was doing at the time, ADHD Nerds. And then the book was like, was like seventh on the list and I never had time for it. And so I was like, I was just not making enough time for it. And I, so at the beginning of the year, I basically said, I need to finish the book this year. Like it can't mm -hmm. take another year. I don't want it to come out in 20, 2024. It's got to come out this year. If so, when I accept that is true, like if that's like that now moves to number one, what does that mean for the rest of stuff? And then it was like, Polar Habits, it just doesn't make sense wow. for me anymore. And so I, I left Polar Habits. Amicably, we had a great conversation right. about it. And obviously, I wish the best for a lot with where that goes. But so I left Polar Habits. 
and I paused the ADHD Nerds podcast, which I'm hoping to bring back next year. We'll see. And there was a number of other things where I was just like, I just need the number one thing has to be the book so that I can get it done. And then, and it worked. That's why the book actually came out this year. That is amazing. And, but it's hard, like when you're managing a family and a full-time job and just all this other stuff you're doing, there's a lot of, I think like compromises that I have to make behind the scenes. And it's good that people are saying like, wow, how are you doing all this stuff? Because that means I'm choosing some of those right things. Like I'm choosing to cut out the things that I When I do that, I'm like, I'm hoping this will allow the work I'm doing online to continue in its most useful, helpful form or whatever. And so when people say like, how do you do all this? How do you do all this stuff? It feels I'm making those right cuts. And that feels really good. That said, I sure would hope I sure hope to be able to do this full time at some point. I'm really excited with how the book's done because that's like a big step in that direction of if the book continues to sell well, that can be one like really good pillar of income. And then hopefully over this next year or so, I can build some more pillars through coaching and speaking and uh, other things like that. That's so exciting. Many, I don't know if the, the saying like, hell yeah or no, but Derek Sivers. Yes. That was like a huge huge fan of that. Yeah, me too. And I love Derek Sivers. Same. And that was very (laughs) useful. But then I noticed that there were too many things that were hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it it just felt not as I, I needed something more narrowing or more exclusive or like easier for me to do you have any frameworks to, you know, it's time to say goodbye to this thing because of X, Y, Z, or do you have a, a good sort of frame for the, those things? How to yeah, set there's, boundaries? There's actually this really good, I forget the name of it. There's this really good like framework that I think Warren Buffett uses, which is normally I would not say like Warren Buffett and like ADHD brain, like those usually don't seem like those would line up, but I really <laughs> like this framework, which is basically it's take your top 20 or 25 goals. What are the things you want to accomplish? Write them down and then go through that list of your like 25 goals that you want to get done and then circle the five most important. And so you do that exercise, you write down all these things and you circle the five most important. And then the idea is, okay, so write those five down. Those are the things you need to focus on for the next year or whatever time frame it is. And the other things on the list, what you think is, okay, and those are like the secondary goals. But what the rule for this framework is, no, those other things on the list, that other 15 to 20 items, those are the things that you avoid at all costs, because those those are those little things that are taking you away from the goals you really want to accomplish. And that's so much how I felt like last year. Like I was really excited. I think Polar Habits is a great example because that was something I was really excited, particularly when we launched it and stuff like that. But that wasn't my ultimate goal. Like when I looked like two years down the road is what I want to do like this habit app. No, I think it's a really cool app and I was excited about it and I had like skills that sort of aligned with it. But that wasn't really what I want. Like the book was my number one. Like that was the thing I wanted. But Polar Habits was taking all this time away from Mm -hmm. that because I was getting distracted by that. And so that whatever that those five items are or three items or finding that balance, it's so important to realize that all those other things are actually taking away. They're not just like other things that you can focus on, but they're literally taking away the time and the focus and attention that should be going to those primary goals. What are some of the five things that you have on your list? 
Oh man, it's changed a lot. So like this last year is pretty much like book. the book, the book. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I don't actually know what it's going to be in this next year. I haven't, I really love the practice of doing like an annual review and then like planning, like not strict planning, but forecasting or what was the phrase you like used future earlier? reflective or like future yeah, reflection yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah, totally love that. So that's I haven't done that yet. I'm going to be doing that later this week. And that is when I'll like figure out like what now that I'm where I'm at now, what does that next year look like? What do I want to be those focuses? And the book is still definitely one of those because I want to like I don't want to be like, oh, cool. What's next? Move beyond the book. But like the book and authorship and all of that entails, that is definitely one of them. I'm really excited to continue spreading the word of that and hopefully reaching more people with it. But I think some of those other things I had mentioned before, like speaking and coaching, those are two that are also probably going to rise up the top. But then I have all these other ones. I'm like, are those going to fit in there? I got to help figure out what I can fit in uh, these things that I can focus on. TBD on uh, those. <laughs> you mentioned uh, coaching, which I think is super interesting. Even this morning, I, I was part of this workshop with an ADHD coach. It was like a group coaching about oh, like cool. time blinding and blindness. How did you get involved in coaching? What about coaching was, why did you feel the need to add the coaching component to reach people? Yeah. So to be honest, I'm not like when I did the ship 30 for 30 thing, I was like, I did, I wasn't like, Oh, I really want to be a coach. There was just something that kind of pulled me that way. And I, as I was getting to know more people and oh, now I'm like an ADHD content creator or whatever that means. As I was getting to know some of the other people in that space, I noticed that a lot of them were coaches. And so I was like, maybe that could be something I was trying to figure out what I've got something like really cool happening here where I'm like really impacting people. What could I do to make this a bigger focus? And coaching seemed like sort of a natural direction. And so I there's a school called ADCA, which is like the ADD Coaching Academy. And I went ahead and signed up. They had what they call simply ADHD, which is like like just learning the basics of ADHD. Well, not not just the basics, but learning all, all about ADHD. And I took that course and I was like, oh, this is I thought I knew a lot about ADHD. Now I really know a ton. Like this was super informative and I just like really fell in love with the learning aspect of it. And then, and I, all the other stuff I do is helping people. And so I'm really like, I feel like I'm in a position of it really makes sense to, mm -hmm. to go this direction. And the more I took more of those classes there, it just felt, yeah, this feels great. I do think like you mentioned doing like a group coaching I do think that might be where I end up eventually, mm -hmm. like to start, I'll be doing kind of one-on-one, -on -one, especially to, I want to build up that experience of helping people one-on-one. -on -one. And I know that's going to be really beneficial, hopefully for them, but really just for me, like I'm going to be <laughs> learning so much from what that's like helping people in that way. And then I've done, I've done some ADHD courses in the past and mm -hmm. I really loved that. And so I think ADHD, like group coaching feels like an environment that I would thrive in, but I want to get the reps so that I don't start that before I have the experience of having coached one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. I think you were teaching on Maven. I think I saw the courses yeah. that, that were listed there. One question that I had, like you've done, I think my learning about ADHD was also through your material. I, I had zero clue. So now when I first found out, Oh, like this resonates a little too much. <laughs> and then I started reading was like your material. You've done so much more studying and learning. 
you've taught this course. What are some things like the top three things that you feel maybe people who are just learning about their ADHD or like some tendencies, what are some like key concepts or things that really help them wrap their head around ADHD, which is like a huge topic, right? A huge topic and like a spectrum (laughs) and it looks different on everybody. Mm -hmm. But if there are three Mm -hmm. things that consistently have, oh my God, Jesse, this is so helpful. Oh my God, this is, what are some of those things? Yeah. So for me, I think one of the huge biggest things about ADHD is with your relation to time. And like in the, in my book, I say with ADHD, you have a clockless mind. It's, it's almost perceiving time is like this other sense that people have. And when you have ADHD, like you just don't have it, or it's like very deeply disabled or like whatever. You don't have that connection. There's too much time for everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, you just can't feel like if I'm, especially if I'm hyper-focused on something, and then I like something like breaks me out of the hyper focus. And then I look up and then somebody asks, hey, how much time do you think has passed? I have no idea. Like it could have been mm-hmm. 10 minutes. It could have been three hours. Like that concept of like time moving past me or like moving behind me. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that. And that's how most people with ADHD are is that time passing is like a feeling we just don't really have. Mm-hmm. And so because of that causes all sorts of issues. Like for me, I've been late to everything my whole life. It's just like. A constant struggle, especially as a kid with school. But I've been late to almost every job interview I've ever had, which is that's a really big consequence when you're late to that job interview. I know how important that is. And yet, as I'm like trying to walk out the door, like my brain's, we should, maybe we can sort this mail real quick before we get in the car. <laughs> we'll probably hit every green light this time. Like I'm like making up this thing in my mind that ends up making me late yet again. And, and it's because I like, I don't really feel like the time moving that way. And so I, tr- I take on projects that I don't have enough time to do at all. And then I'm surprised when I look up and, oh, I'm half an hour late to the job interview or whatever it is. And so I think time is a huge one. That's one of the ones I think has had the most impact on my life. Two others, I'll say memory, particularly there's this type of memory, like people know about working memory and long-term memory and stuff like that, but there's a particular type of memory that's called prospective memory. So that's P-R-O, prospective memory. And the idea behind that is remembering to remember to take action. So for an example, like if you're, it's the middle of the day and you're working in an office and then you have that thought of, oh, I did, that's right, we're out of milk. I should grab milk on the way home. Most people would have that thought. And then later on when they leave the office, <laughs> that that memory like pops back up again. It's, oh, remember, you're going to get milk on the way home. And with people with ADHD, that doesn't happen. But Mm -hmm. I think it's going to happen in the moment. So when I think about like the milk, I'm like, oh, I should get milk on the way home. What I'm not thinking about is that, oh, I'm actually not going to remember that later. So I need to set a reminder or something. But there's a study that showed that people with ADHD have this, there's a huge gap. Like our likelihood to be able to remember things is just, there's just such a difference between neurotypical people and people with ADHD. And we just, and for me, the hardest thing about a lot of this is just like, it's one thing to know it, but there's like another thing to believe it in the moment. And so I I always think my memory is going to work better than all of my history actually shows me. It's just, it feels, oh, this thing I'm going to remember, or 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 I can't forget this. Like I can't forget this. Yeah, this is so important. I can't forget this. 
or I'll take some, I don't know, important paper and I'll like, oh, I'm going to put it right here in this really unique hiding spot because I'll totally remember this mm. later. And of course, where's that spot? I know I put it somewhere really important, but that memory is totally gone. And so that's another really big one. And I think that one didn't, I didn't even realize that was such a big deal until I like saw a therapist and were like mm. working through a lot of stuff. And that was when it really, like, I had no idea that my memory was so bad because our brains are really tricky at like filling in the gaps when mm -hmm. we like don't remember what actually happened or what so-and-so said or that sort of thing. We fill in the gaps and that feels like reality. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't even aware of a lot of my uh, memory issues until talking with someone every week and then they were able to these are some things that you're you are definitely forgetting about wow. and that's not perspective memory that's that's more just general memory mm -hmm. because our difficulties with memory kind of span across all long term short term all over the place but yeah so i, I think that was two i'll do one more real quickly but like the third one emotional dysregulation is so mm -hmm. huge i think it's for me what it feels like is whenever like an emotion hits and like particularly something like anger or sadness it hits at a hundred percent it's like a light mm. switch it's like i'll be in a conversation with someone and then they'll say something and it flips that switch and the way that i respond like to anyone else in the situation the way i respond it'll be like whoa why that's way out of proportion with the situation like why are you like so mad or even happy sometimes i'll be so excited about something and it just <laughs> whoa calm down dude it's not that big of a deal but to me the way i'm responding like matches how i feel because that mm. internally that emotion feels at 100 percent. and so the way i'm like reacting outwardly that other people are seeing is responding to what i'm feeling internally and that's because of the emotional dysregulation that comes with ADHD, where we it's just like emotions are, they hit at like 100%. And for other people, they'll have the, I know like several friends with ADHD where something just like slightly sad will happen and they'll just like burst into tears. That's mm -hmm. one that really strikes for them. And it's at zero to 100%. That light switch flips and you feel that thing, whatever emotion it is, so deeply that you immediately respond to it outwardly. Wow. Regarding the memory, which I think it's not usually I forget I need to like order my kids like class photos and then I forget and they mm. end up being the only kids without a class photo. Like uh, those, those yeah. kind of things where it hasn't happened yet. As you were saying that that thought propped up in my mind, Monica, I forget. <laughs> so now that you know that, how have you tackled that or do you have a note? Do you have an automation with your phone that pops up? Any Anything that has worked for you? Yeah, I'll say a couple of things. One, there there's an app that I love for, I, I don't know if it's on Android to, as well, but it's on iOS and it's just called Do, D-U-E. And it's a really great reminder app because you can snooze reminders on it, which I love. So it'll bug you forever about a reminder. But the way the snooze works just like clicks really well with my brain. So I, I avoid putting too many things in there because my fear is that if I use it for everything, <laughs> then it'll just yeah. become noise and I'll start totally. ignoring it. Yeah. But the way I use it right now, I'm just, I'm very strict with it. I never ever mark something as done until I'm done with it. And so mm -hmm. I have a weekly reminder about my newsletter. And so I have that, I use that app for a few reminders like that. Another thing, like I like 
my wife is neurotypical and she has a really great memory. And so I am lucky to have that sort of situation that she's really great where I can hand off those sort of memory tasks to her a lot of the time, particularly like you're saying with like kid examples like that. Like I'll get an email about a thing. I'm like, oh, because we just had that a a couple of days ago about the yearbook. My oldest just is in junior high. And I was like, oh, I remember the yearbook being really important back when I was in junior high. So we got to make sure we don't forget to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I set like a recurring, like I, I snoozed an email to remind myself to talk to my wife about it. But she's awesome. I know that once I do talk with her about it, she's got it locked in. She has her whole, awesome. whole system for managing that sort of stuff. If I didn't have that, I would definitely have to, I would have to build some sort of system that I regularly check in on. And that's the, that's a tricky thing for me because I feel like once I build systems, they lose the novelty and then I don't remember to check in on it. <laughs> oh, I know that too well. But yeah. things that with a million things that you have on your plate, you must have some kind of to-do list system or multiple systems. Like maybe you're using paper. How do you like manage your labels or everything? I think for me at least. So I don't know how you even call this. Is it a to-do, task management? How do you manage the tasks Yeah, honestly, it's chaos. I don't have a good system. Yeah, nobody does. (laughs) But yeah, one thing that has worked really well for me is like landing on a system for a project. And Mm. so like for me, when I was like working on the book launch, I was reading all these books and listening to podcast episodes about like how to launch a book. So I wanted to like I knew I had all like a ton of tasks for that. Mm. So what I did for that was I had two systems for that. I had a notebook that I kept with me that I wrote down any idea that sounded like, oh, I should follow up on that. Oh, I don't want to forget about this. I had just like a moleskin that I used specifically just, just for, for that this task. project. Just ah. yeah, only it was my book. It was my book launch uh, moleskin. And I knew I wasn't going to fill the whole thing out, but that's okay because I never end up filling out the whole notebook anyway. So that was just for that project. It made it more interesting or exciting somehow. I was like, oh, I'm mm. grabbing my book launch notebook. It made it like it was this <laughs> new fun thing. And then, and the, then the idea of, oh, if I have this notebook, I'm going to finish it. So I need to get a big notebook or like the. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And then the other thing I did was once I get got closer to the launch, then I created a Trello board and that helped me like put, okay, here's where I'm going to put the concrete tasks that I need to do because the notebook is a lot of ideas and like aspirations for what I wanted to do, but now I need things that I can mark as done. And so for me, I did like Trello board for that. But then there's other things where I do, I've done definitely a lot of like index cards where I'll just write have like a list of things associated with the project or I'll download a new app and that'll be like, oh, I'm, I don't know, I'm rebranding my newsletter and I have all these things that I want to do with it. I'm going to put all of those inside this new app that I've been wanting to try out. And so I'm combining like the novelty with tracking a specific project because then whenever I think of that project, I'm like, oh, that's in this app. And that kind of, there's a bi-directional relationship between the app and the project that I'm working on. So if I remember either one of them, they're connected that way. And so that's sort of uh, one of the things I've done. I'm also like, there's the, I don't know if you, the Ugmunk analog system where you have like these cards that have, it's just, it's like a glorified Enix card, but it has this really nice setup so that it sits on this like wood panel. So you can just I've see it like in it. front of you. Yeah. Like Ali Abdal, I think was using it. Oh yeah. It's Maybe. that one's really nice. That's something that I, that helps me a lot with my like daily tasks where I'm like at my desk. Cause I can just put it right there and see it. And then it's like, for me, 
another one of those big things with ADHD is out of sight, out of mind. And so the analog system is really great because it's always in sight. It's like right there. And that really helps me to get those things done. For the tasks, do you like, you know, what you had on, on the index card? Do you just wake up in the morning? Okay, what do I have to do today? Do you do it like the day before? What is like your, your the, a routine to even have that index card with the tasks? Yeah. So do you mean for the analog thing or when yeah. I was talking about? Yeah. So for the analog, it's, I don't have, a, <laughs> I don't have a good system. There's no routine for it. It's really like, I don't even use it every day. It's one of those things that's there. And then when I'm feeling like, oh, I have a lot, I have, I have a lot I got to get done. Then I'll mm -hmm. use it to help me. It's that whole thing of like 25, I have 25 things I could be working on today, but there's five that I really need to focus mm -hmm, on. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to write those down so that I, when I get distracted by something else, which inevitably will happen, I'll glance down and be like, oh, I still have the, I still have four of those five things I got to get done today. So I really use it as, it's almost more like an emergency task list. It's if I really need like that direction, then I have it there. Otherwise I bounce around a lot and a lot of my work allows me to do that, which is great. And so whenever I have something that is scheduled and has to hit a certain date, then I will try to bring this in the system. Otherwise I do a lot of just like snoozing emails that I'll get to that eventually. And that's not the best because then I end up replying super late to people, but that's, it's very kind of fluid. And that's something I definitely will have to adapt over this next year. Cause I think there's just, it's getting to be where there's too much of that. And I don't want things to slip through the cracks, but it's all about like, how do I manage that energy? Because I don't want to put, mm -hmm. I don't want to spend a whole weekend and throw all of my tasks into OmniFocus and then never open OmniFocus again, because then mm -hmm. it's like, then I've told my brain like, oh, you took care of this because you put this task mm -hmm. in a thing and then I'm never going to think about it again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I'm never going to check the thing again. So then that task is never going to happen. So it's this, this balancing act in that way. And I'll do the same thing with when I get an email that I really need to reply to. I avoid like marking it. I don't want it to be marked as red because then it, the, or I don't want to reply to them and be like, oh, I'll get back to you next week. Because then in my brain, I feel like it's going to be like a little checklist in my brain and I'm going to forget that, no, J Jesse, you didn't actually finish the task. You took a little action on it, but there's still work to be done. And so I'll leave, leave that sort of unread in my inbox, which is not necessarily something I would suggest to do because there's like anxiety and things that kind of come with that as well. But that's what I'm, how I'm balancing that currently. So it's a very chaotic system that for the most and, part no, is working with my brain, right. but... <laughs> As I expected, I think nobody has one system that has maybe Mary Marie Poland, like, because I think she really <laughs> has it down. I think as we were closing to, to wrapping up, you are one of the few people that I know who has a family, like ADHD, full-time job, family, plus kids. And yeah. with a neurotypical person, same with me, my husband has a very hard time understanding how my brain works. It's almost like, why didn't you do that? What's so hard about it? Like laundry, like I... I get everything until the drying part. <laughs> I just cannot get myself to fold clothes in time. So it's mm. going to sit there. And so how do you, practically speaking, the communication with your wife about you maybe educating her about how you work? What are some things that like she gets annoyed by? Because, you know, maybe how do you work with a spouse who is a neurotypical person and... What have you figured out? 
Yeah, it's I definitely am not going to claim to be an expert on this in particular if she happens to listen, listen to the episode. But I'll say one thing that really did help us, particularly like early on, I so we had been married for about 10 years ish when I got diagnosed. And same, so we exactly the same. Oh, nice. OK. And we around that time, I was like trying to figure out how to get diagnosis. And I found a therapist that was able to diagnose me. And then pretty quickly it, that I was seeing her every week and then it became like therapy for me, but then also marriage therapy. And so it was like my wife would come every other time. And that was like what our mix looked like that first year. And one of the things that was like a really impactful moment, I think, for us was prior to this, before we knew about ADHD or any of that, my wife would basically every day say like before in the evening, the kids had gone down to bed and then she would say, hey, can you take out the trash tonight? And I'd be like, I don't know, sitting on the couch, reading a book, playing a video game, watching a show, something like that. And I'd be like, yeah, sure. I'll take care of it before I come up to bed. And that's that prospective memory thing happening where in the moment I think, oh, yeah, I'll remember to do that when I get up off the couch. I'll take care of that thing. And so every night she would say, hey, could you take out the trash? And I'd say, yep, no problem. And then every night I'd get up from the couch, not think about the trash and go straight to bed. And so then she would wake up the next morning and see that I didn't take out the trash and think all those horrible negative thoughts. Like, what was wrong with this guy? Like, why won't like, is he just being lazy? Does he not love me? Like, why won't he take care of this really simple task that I'm asking him to do every night? And for me, I'm completely oblivious to all this. Mm -hmm. Like when when I'm saying when I tell like when I say, yeah, I'll take out the trash. I think I'm going to do it the next day. I think maybe I did it or I just don't even think about it at all. I'm not even like aware of the fact that, oh, I'm telling my wife that I'm going to take out the trash every day and I never, ever do it. That's just it was completely oblivious to me. And so that was one of the things that came up pretty early on when we were in therapy. And what our therapist recommended was, why don't you have a whiteboard and then hang a whiteboard in like a prominent location so that me so I'll see it when I get up off the couch and then. So what, what we did, so my wife would do the same thing and say, hey, could you take out the trash? And I'd say, yep, no problem. And then she would go to the whiteboard and write mm. down, take out trash with a little square next to it to put a check mark. And then me, I would get up, I would look, I would walk right past, I walk to where the whiteboard is and I'd see it. I'd be like, oh yeah, I said I was going to take out the trash. And then I would take out the trash and I would check it off. And then mm. that became our new routine and since then, I basically, for the most part, never forgot again. It was like I would do that every single night. She would write it down on the board. I'd get up. I'd see it. I'd remember it. I'd take out the trash, check it off, and then she'd wipe it off the next day and do it again. And eventually, it was not like a week or two, but like months and months later, it eventually did become just a locked-in routine to where now she doesn't tell me, have to tell me anymore. She doesn't have to write it on the board. It's finally, it finally, like it took forever, but it locked in for me of that's just my evening routine. I take out the trash, I set the alarm, I make sure the doors are locked, and then I go up to bed. But that it was a really big moment for us because like for her, she was actually able to see, oh, this really is affecting him because mm-hmm. all we changed was writing this thing on the board. And if he was wanting to be lazy, this shouldn't have changed that at all. Like seeing mm-hmm. it written on the board wouldn't change the fact that he's wanting to be la- lazy mm-hmm, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, it was really a breakthrough for us of showing that, oh, this ADHD thing really is like affecting this situation. And so that, I think that really helped. She became a lot more curious, I think, after mm-hmm. that point. And so we'd like watched videos together because then it was like, 
oh, now I actually believe this thing is real. And so if it's real, my husband has this, I want to know more about it and learn about it. And so we were able to like become curious going forward from there. And it definitely wasn't like a magic fix. It's not like, oh, now she gets it and everything makes sense to her. It's no, we still (laughs) run into conflicts and the same sort of thing where she's like, why, you know, Mm. to her brain, it's like, why wouldn't you do it this way? That seems like the quote unquote obvious way to do it. But when you have ADHD, like we never do things the obvious way. We have like right. our brain works so totally different. And so there, there is that bit of just balancing that where it's like accepting that we're not always going to understand why the other person does things a certain way because our brains are just like pretty drastically different with ADHD being a big reason for that. And so that's that's how we've navigated it and just trying to both remain curious. There's the, that quote that's uh, said in like the Ted Lasso, like the be curious, not judgmental. That's really the approach we try to take. And that's I think, is a really helpful way to go about it. Just trying to always remain curious and not being not jumping to that assumption or that conclusion of you think that because of X, that must mean Y. But actually saying, oh, if X is what's happening Let's figure out why that why it's that way and what we can do to work around that. I love that. And I think it's it's a great place to to wrap for. Yeah, it's a I think you'd staying curious, just being very gentle, like self-compassionate. But then also we're not just this independent individuals, but we're also affecting other people. And I think also being patient with others who don't have yeah, we're just yeah. different people. And I try to be patient with my husband for not understanding me. It's mm-hmm. it's almost it goes both ways. The need for curiosity and I, like, how do you remember everything and do everything. So yeah, just and trying also, to learn from each other. Yeah. And also just, I don't always know the answer. Like, I don't know why I do things a certain way. And so it's not so much, oh, let me teach you my ways. It's, I don't know. So we have to be curious together because something's happening to where I act a certain way or she acts a certain way. And so we have to be curious together and say, oh, if this is how you or I respond to the situation, what can we do about that? Once we just accept, oh, that's a truth about how we respond to certain things, how can we grow from that rather than judge that and try to say that's bad or wrong? Yeah. Jesse, so for people who are like, again, curious and they want to maybe scratch that itch or just explore ADHD, what would be the best place to go? Besides your book, I think your book is like the the one place where everything is there, but to Mm. interact with you and to learn more from you, what is the best place? Yeah. So I use the name ADHD Jesse everywhere. So I have ADHDjesse.com. And then also that's where I'm in. That's my name on all the different social networks. And then I have my weekly newsletter is probably the easiest entry point because then you don't even have to pay the five, ten dollars for a book. You can just sign up for free. And that's just extrafocus.com. Yeah. And I think that's a great starting point. And oh, when you sign up for that as well, you get a short strategy guide that kind of covers a lot of those really fundamental basics of uh, ADHD. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jesse. All the best next year. I'm sure it's going to be a great year as a lot more people are just becoming more curious. And thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. 